Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about Tesla's solar price hike, a spotlight on Sono Motors, Ford's EV strategy, and more. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy, the guy who convinced me to buy Elon Musk's NFT song. How you doing, Ricky? <laughs> doing, doing well, Matt, doing well. It was a uh, late night last night getting our video done. Somehow, it always creeps up on you. You think you have time to finish it. and um, But enjoying today, and uh, I have a three-day weekend coming up, so I can't complain. Yeah, how uh, how about that. you? It's been a good week. I had a video come out on green hydrogen, which was kind of an interesting topic to cover because it's kind of like it's hydrogen's dirty little secret that it's really dirty to make hydrogen <laughs> and what the future is going to look like. How is the reception? Pretty good? It's been pretty good so far. It's been pretty good. Yeah, people... People really don't realize, they think of electrolysis, but it's like, that is a tiny percentage of how we're making it currently. Things can yeah. change, and hopefully they do. They but, can definitely change. Um, also, I heard you, you got a new uh, got a new fan and follower on Twitter, isn't that right? Oh, yes. Yeah, d uh, the video came out, and I got a tweet from, I don't know if anybody knows who this is, but Duncan Jones, who's the director of Moon and the Warcraft movie. He tweeted about my video and said he likes watching my videos and the one about hydrogen was really interesting. And I almost fell out of my chair when I saw that tweet. How cool is that? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Our, our boy Maddie's uh, going places. Yeah. So <laughs> my video this week was on heat pumps. Um, I got a couple of funny comments. The title of the, the, the video is um, probably interesting and maybe not everyone loved it, but I, I pretty much said this heating technology defies the laws of physics pretty much because the 500% efficiency is kind of a funny thing that people don't fully understand. I do cover it and talk about what I yes, mean. Yes, you do. It was clearly, the title was clearly made to to, to, to intrigue. So uh, that one was good. Uh, looking forward to moving on and uh, let's, let's start the show. All right. Well, the first story, and this is going to be the big controversial topic of the evening, is Tesla hiking <laughs> solar roof pricing on contracts that were signed over a year ago. This this one is, um, I'm really interested to hear what Ricky's take on this is, but this is something that's been brewing over the past several weeks. They've been more accurate in their estimates on how much a solar roof costs to install. Their original estimates were a little on the low side, and they've changed the way they do the estimates now, and it's more accurate for what it's actually going to cost to install. And it also looks like they've actually just kind of baked in some more actual costs that they've probably discovered just from installing them over the past, you know, six months to a year. And it's been jacking up people's costs for what they're getting for the estimates. And when you sign a contract with Tesla, there's a clause in there that allows them to adjust the price after you've signed. And so they come back to you with a revised contract. And a lot of people are seeing costs that are increasing by, in some cases, 30% or more. And there's actually somebody that follows me and has been sharing with me his experience of getting solar roof. And he just contacted me before the show saying he's canceling his order because his cost doubled. His original cost after incentives was originally supposed to be $50,000 and it's now over $100,000. That is not insignificant. And the way that this whole thing has been handled is kind of shocking to me because if you're that far off with the pricing structure based on the estimates for customers who have already signed up. Do you eat those costs and just correct it going forward? How do you handle it with those customers that are going to basically get sticker shock <laughs> because they've already been planning. They may have been cutting down trees, doing prep work, spending money to get this stuff put into place. And they've been waiting months and months and months to just turn around and jack their costs up 20, 30, 40, 50% or even double 
depending on the situation. And you and I have both talked to installers about the solar roof. And what we've been told is, you know, the, the costs don't line up. It's the complexity of the roof that really matters. And the original estimate was basically just, what's the square footage of the roof? Here's your cost. And the installers that I talked to from like Weddell and Sons, they drove home the fact that when they're doing the cost estimates, they were doing something very accurate because they're actually looking at the house and the complexity of the roof. And they were being called out by customers saying, why is your cost quote double what Tesla's giving us? We're going to go with Tesla and not with you because you're so much more expensive. And it turns out they actually were probably the more accurate price because they were doing pricing based on the complexity of the roof structures. So what what is your take on all of this? I did a, I loved your video and the, the gentleman you spoke with. Yeah. And I did a similar video where I spoke with somebody from a company called Good Faith Energy. The CEO's name's Mo. And they had the exact same feedback, which was we often heard uh, what Mo kept saying is we want your service, but we want Tesla's prices. And he tried to kind of tell them, you know, the, the way Tesla's estimator is working, it, it is very much an estimation. And he even shared with me early days when they first started and they, they first rolled this out, they were actually just basing it on the square footage of your house. So if yeah. I had a thousand square foot house, here's your quote, which is madness because it could be a ranch style house. It could be a three story house. I mean, there's no way you can, you can estimate a roof based on the house square footage. Then it became more of a roof square footage and complexity, medium, complex. But this is not a this is not a situation where you can have a one size fits all type of an approach. You gotta you gotta nail this down properly. And so yeah, here's his installation. It's gorgeous, by the way. I mean the the solar glass roof is unbelievably uh, beautiful. But the 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 way they got estimations were were, were wildly off. And I even got commenters who were giving me a hard time saying, how dare you say Tesla knows, Tesla knows what they're doing and their prices are fine. And then this news breaks that they're readjusting. <laughs> and it come, what it comes down to really is the labor, is Tesla's Achilles heel. They aren't as equipped to understand the nature of what a roof takes, you know. Yep. So I, I think they probably ought to focus on the product side. They should, they should say, look, we make the best roofing tiles and you guys should, and, and we're going to go scale this up and make them by the bajillions and, and let other like local installers potentially do the installation. Because my experience with Tesla service is um, not the best, is, is probably the way I'd say it. We, you and I both got power walls from Tesla. So uh, you, had, you had a tough time with a third-party installer from other reasons and stuff. For me, yep. Tesla themselves installed mine. And the first gentleman that showed up, I think he was just out of his league, didn't really fully know what he was doing. A second gentleman comes to help him, and the two of them get started, but now the day is late. They don't finish. They come back a second day. Kind of my house has kind of opened up and in a weird state for a while. Uh, they never came back and repaired the drywall and the stucco, which they were supposed to. And then seven months later, after like radio silence, I got, I'm getting messages now. Your bill is past due for the remainder that I owe for the installation prices. As I you guys haven't finished the work and you're telling me I'm delinquent on payments. And that really irritates me. I don't like when people say that I'm uh, late on making payments if you guys haven't done the work yet. So I was on the phone with them and it is like pulling teeth The the entire service department, I think needs to go to like who name a company that has like great customer service, like maybe Apple, there, there's Apple. some Neiman Marcus, yeah. Neiman Marcus, I know has like the best at Costco. They need to like send their entire service department to school to like learn from the masters of how to do customer service because it is a 
pretty bad experience currently. I kept getting passed on to person to person. They weren't like, let me get the person on, explain your situation, give them your name and your information so they jump right in. It was like starting over again, over and over. And like 45 minutes later, I was like, God, I got to go back to work. What is this? You know, so this is tough. Um, Growing pains, I'm sure they'll get better at this. But my personal opinion has always been like, get out of the service business, just make products, make best solar glass roof tiles, focus on that Gigafactory in Albany, just scale that up, make it better, faster, leaner, and let these local installers who are really good at understanding how to do this, do, do this. Because I don't know why they want to be in the the roof installing business. Like that doesn't sound like a core competency. And whenever they do stuff that's not core competency, I think it doesn't work out well. Yeah, from my point of view, it's it goes beyond just their solar business. It's Tesla in general. Their communications. It's something I've been saying. I've said in previous videos on my channel. Their communications is not good. It's their Achilles heel, and they have to fix that because that's where the customer experience, the user experience, really comes you know, comes home. It's like another good example would be Zappos. Zappos was kind of the golden child of customer service. You buy shoes, you're not happy, they'll change it out, no questions asked. So send it back, we'll give you, we'll do whatever we have to do to make you happy. Hell, we'll give you the shoes for free. They'll do whatever they have to do. And on the flip side, you got Tesla and it's a real mixed bag, what your experience is gonna be when you have to call them and deal with them day in and day out with some kind of customer service issue with your car or getting solar installed. I have somebody else that contacted me saying that they've been through three or four different solar reps. Like you're given a point of contact when you get a contract with them. Their point of contact changed three or four times over the course of like four months. And each person handles it in a wildly different way. So they were going from periods where somebody was doing a fairly good job keeping them up to date and then other people that was just like a black hole of information and they would never hear from them. So it's it's so it's it's bad. It's like they got they've got to fix this because they do the engineering so well. They do the software so well. They're su- they're an engineering company from top down, but they need to nail this customer service and communications. And it's they don't have a PR group anymore. If they had a PR group that was totally right. focused on how to present this information to the public, they could have gotten ahead of this solar roof issue before it just starts bubbling up from people complaining about their quotes doubling in cost. And then the basically the the green media, you know, like you got the Clean Technicas and all, the, the, all those different websites start catching these articles and these stories start coming up. It's not a good look for Tesla at all. So this is something they really have to get ahead on. It's like if they want to succeed, yeah, they got to nail this. Agreed, agreed. We, you know, I was thinking about what you said about the cars and the software. What they've done with their cars and their software is, well, as, you know, the, the cars too, start in some small uh, small window of sales or lo- regions and then kind of grow. The software is a rolling update. Not everyone gets Tesla software updates at the same time. They've got some kind of a rolling iteration, like a schedule. They'll go 10%, look for anomalies and stuff, gauge success, make sure there's no crazy crashers or anything, and then go 20%, 30%. It's like a stage rollout. Uh, a stage rollout would have made sense for their solar too. Start yeah. in California, right? And California is pretty much like the solar gold mine, and start building here. Pick like L.A., San Diego, San Francisco, Sacramento, four cities, and start doing it there. Get the process, understand, like get the training materials in line, get everything sorted out, and then expand and expand. Now we're in Nevada. Now we're in New Mexico, and then slowly, you know, or some sort of not this where it's like we're going to take over the whole world and. And it shows like, you know, your armies are very thin everywhere. They're they're there, but it's not it's not a good look. We talked about this before the show. 
Elon reminds me a lot of Steve Jobs. They're both really intense leaders. Like they're brilliant and they're non-compromising and they're not like customer facing, meaning like you wouldn't want Steve Jobs <laughs> taking a customer's complaint. He'd, he'd, he'd like bash him and tell him you're an idiot and you're using it wrong. It's your fault kind of a thing. Yep. That's why they have an entire department, one of the best, to deal with customers and, and problems and, and stuff. And Tesla's pretty much cut out theirs. And this, to me, like people make all this talk about, oh, Tesla doesn't do any marketing, they don't do commercials, they, and they, we give them a lot of credit for all this stuff. To your point, from an engineering perspective, it makes sense. But this is a classic example of where they're getting bit by this. And um, uh, I don't know what the future will hold, but hopefully they, they slow down a little and, and try to improve on quality and not quantity. At this point, that's probably the best thing they can do. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't help to get people like a roof. Isn't like a car. Like I have a, a Cybertruck reservation. So what? It, but if my roof is needing to be replaced, and I'm like, oh great, I'm gonna get a Tesla solar roof, and you take two years to get to me, that's not good. Why not just say we're not offering it in your area until we are? Then I go, okay, well now I have a choice, and you know, go go from there. But right, expectations and stuff are things I think they've got to. To your point, they got to nail this going forward. And I think just, they'll get better. It. Setting expectations is something they have to get better yeah. at. Yeah. The next story is related to something we've talked about in the past. Ford's first Volkswagen platform electric car is a small SUV. So this is a story that we talked about maybe a month ago where I kind of said the Ford Mach-E is uh, a little bit of a deceptive measure because I don't think Ford is actually as well invested in electric vehicles as we thought. Because the Mach-E is individually brilliant. It's a, it's a fantastic car. But what about their deeper infrastructure? What about their deeper investment into the architecture of it? Well, Ford's Cologne factory, which is a factory in Germany, is investing about a billion dollars to renovate to shift to EVs. Now, this isn't a factory in the U.S. This is a factory in Germany. Clearly, they know the writing's on the wall. These uh, ICE cars are going to be banned. So they have to prioritize Europe first. And, and they're, they're doing just that. So this is going to be the first car that they're, they're going to use, the Volkswagen MEB platform. The MEB platform is their common standard platform that they use. The ID4 is built on it. And so people are thinking that this car they're going to build will be like a little mini crossover SUV, even smaller than the Mach-E. This is the ID4. So, I mean, just to give you an idea of the proportions and kind of the size, it'll be the same platform that they'll ride on. But Ford, where's your Where's your platform? You're a major automaker. You're not like some startup. You know, why aren't you um, investing in the same way as like General Motors or Hyundai has their own platform, VW has their own platform. Ford seems wildly content to just kind of ride it out and and just kind of be a passenger in this move. And um, that's why like this Ford electrification center and stuff, really all they're doing is assembly, I think, at this point. Like you're just taking other people's components and putting your shell on it. So um, it seems wildly deceptive to me. I, I, I feel the mach was such a great car that people were thinking, oh my gosh, Ford gets it. When really I think Ford gets it, like here's how you make a great car without actually having to do any of the hard work of like investing into the future of how we're going to build 50 of these kinds of great cars. So what do you think? What's your take on this one? Uh, you and I are very much aligned on this. When I saw this article, it was just like, once again, just a big head shake for me. It's kind of like, okay, you got VW who's making this huge pivot. They're building their own like battery factories. They're going all EV. They're released. They have a whole lineup they've planned. You've got GM doing the same thing, building gigafactories of their own. And 
they're clearly making all the right moves. They built their own platform out too. And then you've got Ford who's coming out and supposedly, we talked about this a little bit before the show, of there's reports that Ford is investing something like $28 billion to electrify their lineup in the coming like couple decades. But I'm not sure where they're spending that money because you've got GM spending the similar amount of money and they're saying, here's our new platform, here's what we're doing, here's all of our battery infrastructure, here's our partners, here's our gigafactories. You got VW doing the same thing, but, I, but Ford is partnering with Rivian They've invested into Rivian, so they're using Rivian, some Rivian technology. They're they're partnering now with VW. It's like, what? I, I, I'm just, I'm, my mind just kind of freezes. I don't understand what they're doing because they're seeding their future. This is not, this is not good planning for the future. And it makes me wonder, is there something else going on behind the scenes that they haven't announced yet that's going on? Because I can't explain the gobs of money that they're investing in this stuff because it doesn't show. It's like what they're doing doesn't equate to what they're spending. <laughs> like the Ford F-150, what is that? Uh, is that going to just be a traditional truck with like batteries in the trunk or something? I mean, are you building this from the ground up? Or is it basically yeah. a Rivian? Yeah, that's a good point. Which, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The Ford F-150 is like a full-size truck. Is Rivian a full-size or a mid-size? Like, is there limitations? Are there? Right. It's bizarre. You're a pri- You're a you're a major OEM. You're you're one of the top. You know. You have, um, it's it's kind of an interesting thing. I think they're going to suffer for this long term, though, because if there's a shortage, if if VW, you know, has battery issues or motor issues or anything else, they're going to the first they'll do is say, "Sorry, Ford, you're yep. you're out. We're not sending any more because we're going to focus on our own stuff." So you have so much of your fate is out of your hand. Sure, the capex is way lower. Um, so I guess if you're a Ford investor you're not serious about electric vehicles and you don't want to see them sink a lot of money until it's more proven. Maybe that's the same thing for Toyota. Like they're just waiting to see what happens or something. I don't know. But GM and VW have proven that like their stocks have have benefited from this idea that we're looking ahead. We're going to go all in and have battery days and things like that. So uh, it very much stands in disagreement. Yeah, I can't, I can't quite, you know, square up that idea either. Uh, we'll, yeah. Maybe we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Next story, which is a complete like a right turn from that one, is there's a nice little uh, motor company that startup that's kind of coming up with a very interesting car. It's uh, Sono Motors. They have developed a car. This is the reason that I thought this was interesting to talk about was we've talked about Aptera, which is building a solar powered car that's taking it into a completely different direction where they've rethought what the aerodynamics and the whole structure of the car to make it super efficient so that it can run off as much of the solar energy it generates as possible. And here's a car company that's making a much more traditional looking kind of small hatchback car that is all solar panel. So in on one side it's like, that's pretty cool, but I hope you like black because that's pretty much all this car is going to come in because there's no paint because this car is basically just a solar panel on wheels. They've got a proprietary method of creating the solar panels in the in the chassis itself. And some of the specs, it's 13 solar modules for 248 seamless solar cells. It has a range of about 150 miles, and it adds about 10 miles a day or about 16 kilometers a day from the solar that it can generate. And this is in, what was it, Germany? So it's like, could be cloudy weather, it could be snow one day. So this is that 10 miles could be better depending on where you live. Um, this, I just, one of the things I loved about this car was just the completely different take on Aptera because Aptera for me, 
I, I'm not in love with the way the car looks. I think it's a little, it's a little too out there for my taste, but I love yeah, the, con I love the concept of what they're trying to do. And then now you have Sono Motors, which is doing something very similar, but it's a more traditional car. And it's like, for me, I'm much more excited about what Sono Motors is doing because it's bringing solar to electric cars. Imagine just parking this in your, you know, you're parking at work, you're parking at home outside and it just tops itself off. So your drive home, it's all topped off, ready to go. You don't ever have to plug it in if you're just driving around, you know, 15 miles a day or so like that. And it has bi-directional charging, which is also really funny because I think I think I passed by it in the imagery. Here it is charging a Tesla, which <laughs> I just love that. I love that <laughs> image. It's it, it's a level two charger, so I think it maxes out at 11 kilowatts for the charging speed. I think is what it is. But still, that's really cool that you have a car that can generate its own power. You can plug it into your house during a blackout, and then it can still generate its own power during the day. It's 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 pretty cool. I I love this concept. What's your take on it? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Ayan Ghosh asks, what's the price and range? Price probably is not really fully defined yet. No. But I think the range is in the 150 mile range. Yeah. Which is, is solid for a car with a 35 kilowatt hour battery pack, which will give you an idea of the price, really about the half the battery pack that you and I have in our cars. So couple that with the fact that you could have 15 miles of range a day from from Germany where, you know, the, the sun is not exactly guaranteed to shine each day very brightly. That might be 30 miles in California, and you might never have to charge it, which is kind of cool. That's a, that's the same promise as Aptera. Now, I don't think the Aptera has solar panels along the body panels. I think it's just the roof line. Yeah. This thing is covered in them, which is which is wildly cool. The doors themselves. It, <laughs> that's so <cool>. Right. <laughs> so I think even though it, it does just come in black, I think that alone kind of makes it just feel kind of futuristic. The shape in the, the car itself is quite, I'd say, mundane looking. Yeah. Very much in keeping with the hatchback obsessed European market. Like European cars look just like that. They're maximum interior space for minimum exterior space, like for European roads and stuff. And that fits right in. It feels very, it feels like an easy sell. The Aptera to me, as cool as it is, I'm wildly fascinated by it. Um, I think the sales model has to be proven. How many people want to be driving around in a three wheeler um, and yeah. all that comes with it. And part of it is just perception. Even if you show people, like, here's the crash ratings and it's just as safe, people's minds, uh, people are irrational. Like, we always talk about, you know, like, I have a, I have a son. I'm going to get him an SUV so he's safe. SUVs are the least safe vehicles ever made. They always are. They're high center of gravity rollover machines. But we think of them as safe because they're big and heavy or something. So the, the rationalness might be a problem. So for this, for that reason, Sono, I think, has a, has a winner because it feels like a normal car. And you could potentially never have to charge it, which that, there's something cool about that. I really want to be able to say that I could just yeah. park outside and. Well, even even if it charge doesn't it. charge it up fully, the fact that it just like half the power that you're using gets comes from the sun directly into the car. There's something so satisfying and cool about that. Talk about like an independent lifestyle. That's part of the reason why you get solar panels in your house is to try to reduce your dependence on the Absolutely. grid. And here's a car that's reducing its dependence, not just on the grid. It's like a little self-sustained little machine. I just love that. So cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Robert says it has a very practical shape. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. That's exactly what it is. But at the same time, it does it does kind of feel futuristic in, in certain ways. You know what I would love to see when you're driving and it shows you like a little gauge that says your instantaneous watt hours per mile is this. Your solar generation is this. And it's like, 
how cool would it be like you're, I'm, you're going downhill and I'm running on the sun, even as you're driving. And then when you're parked, clearly it tells you, you know, in, in three hours, you'll be fully charged again. Ah, that would just be so cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd love, to, love to see that. That should, be, that should be a fun one. And as more details are announced and they start shipping, we'll, we'll cover it more for sure. Yep. Here's the next one. Next up. All right. So the next one is a, it's kind of connected to a story we did several weeks ago about more and more companies getting together and forming kind of coalitions to, to um, try to make EVs the norm as quickly as possible. So this is 80 companies with over a trillion dollars in revenue call for a hundred percent zero emission vehicle future by at the latest 2035. In the past, we covered uh, how Lucid, Rivian, and Tesla were joining forces. That video did really well. They formed this pack called uh, Zeta. It was the Zero Emission Transportation Association. The two that we're talking about today are the <laughs> Corporate Electric Vehicle Alliance. You got to love these names. Whoever comes up with it. I'm, I'm guessing their their profession is, is lawyer, is, is my guess. Yeah. The, the second one is, this is great. This is a this fun is my one. favorite one. The Business for Innovative Climate and Energy Policy, or BICEP. BICEP. That's just... <laughs> you can't make that stuff up. So the, these are these are groups of companies that you know probably don't stand to lose very much. Like for example, if you're um, Whole Foods or Walmart, you don't lose money by mandating that cars become electric. In fact, you look cool, and it sounds great for you to say that. And potentially, maybe you you save money by having lower cost. So I think what you'll see is companies that benefit from the great PR. And the fact that it doesn't really hurt their business to, to say this will be the first ones to join. But these kinds of companies are powerful, especially together. I mean, we, t- we talked about trillion dollars in yearly revenue. So the idea is they can lobby and try to make sure that lawmakers get involved because their their core thesis is that as, as great as all this stuff is, that we need to get government involved. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here, uh, here's a little quote here. This is better than nothing, but real change is only possible from government legislation. The climate crisis will require World War II levels of reallocated reallocation of capital and resources that is only possible when the government mandates it. So um, I would say that probably flies in the face of what I typically say, which is that kind of the, the economics of, of this are going to win out. But what do you think? Clearly, there's going to be more interest in organizations like this to push for this, but it seems to come with the idea that government has to fix it because it, otherwise it won't happen. What's your take on that? I'm curious. I, I'm in the camp of I think the government does need to step in. This is one of those areas where it's like the United States is lagging behind and you have the EU doing some very Definitely. clear mandates to push things forward. We need that here, but there hasn't been the political will to do it. And so even though this really is symbolic for what these companies, these this consortiums are doing, BICEP, um, I do love that it's sending a clear message and the fact that this is a huge, like trillion dollars worth of, you know, revenue in the U.S. economy is coming up to our, gov- our government basically saying, you got to do something about this. That's going to give kind of a good incentive. It kind of puts wind in the sails for people in the government to try to do something about this, to, to get policies pushed forward. So. It's symbolic. It's not really going to change anything now, but I'm hoping stuff like this can help persuade certain lawmakers that might be resistant to kind of rethink their stance. Yeah, I'm torn on this one. You know, um, I made a video talking about, you know, we have this, you know, Biden's going to have this entire federal electrified fleet. 
And then the USPS trucks for the next 30 years were, you know, were, <laughs> were, shown we're not talking about that to one. To be built again. by the Osh- yeah, the Oshkosh <laughs> Corporation, and it's going to be largely gas. And, you know, I think um, there's just a lot of unintended consequences and stuff that come up from it. I'm trying to think of maybe an example. Give me a week to think about it for the next show. But yeah, the cleanest way would just be look. I'm not buying a gas car. Are you crazy? This exploding engine with millions of moving parts that's wildly unreliable and weighs 70% of the energy that it consumes. I don't want that. I want to go the, the simple, clear route. Just get the electric car that'll last a million miles and, and be on your way. So I, I I really hope that... But at the same time, the federal tax credit is a government thing, right? If the, if Biden brings back the 7000 for Tesla and makes it 10000 for all the other companies, that'll do wild things for EV adoption. Yes. Because now we're talking about um, cars that are actually cheaper than their, their gas equivalent. And also the at-the-time-of-sale rebate rather than having to file your tax at the end of the year. So if that kind of stuff happens, I think we'll clearly see big moves in this arena. But the government's role in all of this is, uh, yeah, I get it. I, I do think there's there's a role for them to play. I just hope that they don't start getting into the business of like picking winners and losers, which we we, we talked about how yeah. the federal fleet has to be from companies that have unions, which means I could be wrong about Lucid and Rivian. I'm not 100% sure, but I know Tesla's not unionized workforce, which means all these companies are out of the the running. So yep. you're going to be buying Mach-E's and Bolt or something. So now you're picking winners and, and losers, and it feels very... I don't know. I'd rather just just see a free market on it. You know, Tony Siva, one of my, I love hearing his his lectures and stuff. He talks about how, like, solar is already the winning formula. Like, it already wins on economics today. That's why we don't see new natural gas plants being built. People are moving to solar, even in places like India, where you would think they'd probably you know be behind us a couple of years. They're building like huge solar farms, and I think EVs are on the cusp as well, especially when you factor in that we have more and more of them being made, more battery factories being made, and the costs just keep coming down. Um, and gas prices are going back up. You notice that the gas prices are kind of back to pre-COVID levels all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Here we're paying about $4 currently. So um, the which savings is still are cheap, wild. Which is still cheap compared to other places. For like it, we, have some, we have some Europeans on, on our chat. Yeah. Yes, it is still cheap. It's about half the price that you guys pay. Yes. But the rest of America pays half of what I pay. Just think about that. A, a lot of America's paying a, a fourth of what the rest of the world is paying for gas. So that's really part of why we're where we are and way behind in, in some regard. But um, let's talk about this a little more, I think. Yeah. Maybe there needs to be some more concrete like actions that these organizations are taking, right? Yeah. It all just feels kind of abstract until there's like, hey, we got together, we passed this law, it does this, and as a result, X, Y, and Z. And when I see the data, I'll be the first to change my mind. That's the way I, I think about it. Well, keep tabs on it. Keep tabs on it. So the the last story of the night is one that was actually suggested to me by one of my Patreon members. His name is Al Beeman. And I really want to thank him for suggesting this. But he brought up the question of with full self-driving and robo-taxis coming at some point, how are we going to be charging them? And he suggested talking about wireless charging, which I've done a video on this on my channel about a year ago. I actually interviewed the CEO of a company called Witricity, which is the kind of the leader in the field. In fact, they own pretty much all the patents. So if you see any wireless electric charging stuff from any company, chances are Witricity is like one step right behind them because they own the patents to everything. But the 
the reason that I thought this was worth talking about was just, I think it was at the end of last year, the SAE organization uh, kind of ratified the J2954 standard, which is a global standard for wireless charging. So we now have a standard that every company can now get behind. So there, this basically means any charger will work with any car as long as it's following the standard. And this did not exist before. It took over a decade. <laughs> you want to talk about moving at the speed of business. This is how slow standards bodies move. It took seriously Whytristy and other companies over a decade to standardize this. But the standard now basically gives you um, 11 kilowatt hour charging rates on these wireless chargers. And if you don't know much about wireless chargers, these are not the same as the induction chargers that you get on your phones. Induction chargers are the coil in the charger is not in sync with the coil that's in your um, in your phone. And it requires a very, very close contact for the charge to work. And then you just get a few centimeters away and the power drops. This is magnetic resonance charging where the two coils are in sync at a very specific like megahertz range. I can't, I can't remember what it is, 85 megahertz or something like that, where they're completely in sync at the same resonance. And it allows it so that you can have a gap that could be feet and doesn't even have to be centered over each other completely. It can be off axis, somewhat further away. And then you can have these repeaters where you could actually have a room that's just full of these repeaters. And no matter where your phone is in the room, it could be charging. It's kind of crazy, trippy stuff. And it's completely safe. So this standard is going to change, potentially change everything as far as how we charge our car, cars autonomously. Because if you have, think about having a taxi fleet that just pulls up into spots and they just can just start charging because they're above a spot. Imagine taxi cab stands like you're at an airport and you have a taxi cab row of like 20 taxis waiting for people. Imagine chargers just in the road along that entire taxi cab stand. So these taxis, as they're coming up and they're waiting for people to get on board, they're actually just topping off while they're waiting for somebody to get in the car. Parking garages. There are uh, parking garages in China that are actually already starting to build this kind of stuff out where they're putting these wireless charging pads in all of the spots in parking garages. Put this in your home. I mean, the picture I was pulling up here before is uh, one for a BMW that they've been doing for the past couple of years that's using the Whytristy technology. They sell this as an option for some of their cars. It's like you could put this in your garage. So you come home, you pull into the garage and then you just get out and go inside. You don't ever have to think about plugging in your car ever again. And so this is really the kind of way forward for autonomous driving. When you have a robo taxi, you send it out, it needs to top off, it just pulls into some spot or it's taxi cab stands where it's automatically charging up. And as an owner, even beyond autonomy, it's like, imagine this being in parking lots. Like you go to this sort of shop and you just pull into a spot like you normally would. You don't even have to think about it. Your car's chart topping up while you're shopping or at work. It's, it's this, this to me could really change everything. The fact that it's 11 kilowatts, it's fairly slow, but that's where it's starting today. When I talked to Alex Gruzman, he had talked about how there's the possibility for this to get up to fast charging speeds, not 130 kilowatt hour kilowatt range. You're talking maybe something like 50, 60 kilowatts. You can get it up there. Um, it will get there eventually, but it, it, I don't think it needs to be at that fast charging speed because if you just put these pads pretty much everywhere, it doesn't matter that it's slower. It's like no matter where you're parked or your car is stationary, it's just going to be picking up a free charge. What's your, so, what's your take on uh, this? Uh, 
Yeah, before I before I do, I want to ask you a question. So, you know, the minute um, you mentioned wireless charging, uh, a lot of the more scientifically minded people jump in and, and there's been a lot of chat that it's wildly inefficient because of losses yep. and stuff. You touched on this because you mentioned this is an induction charging, which is what you're typically used to. Right. Um, do you have any do, numbers on efficiency? Yes. It's 99% efficient. Between the coils, it is 99% efficient. So you bring you you pump 10 kilowatt hours and your car is getting basically 9. getting the full amount. That's there's, wildly so on the electricity stuff. The, 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 there's a box that you'd install in the wall, which is the inverter. It's converting you know from AC to DC, and there's a there's an efficiency loss in there. But between the coils, there's essentially no loss. It's 98 to 99 percent efficient. And that's at a huge gap, more than you'd actually need for the car. For the car, you're talking like 18 inches. Uh, the way Alex put it to me was, when you talk about going from the grid into the car, it is about 90 to 93% efficient, which is in the same exact range as the wall chargers that you have in your home. Yeah. There's, there's zero difference between plugging it in physically and using a wireless charging system that's magnetic resonance charging completely different from induction. It's it's built on induction, but it takes it to a level where the efficiency is completely there. It's a, it's a, it's so really cool. It's neat Yeah, stuff. exactly. And I, I want to make that really clear to the viewers, not the chi charging that you're used to no. for your phone. This is this is different. One, Matt does have a video on this. We will put a link to it in the description or pin it somewhere. But go to his channel and, and check it out wireless charging, you'll find it. He has talked to like the the CEO, I believe, the company that does it. Really fascinating video. And the the end result is pretty shocking. We have a way of kind of thinking, oh, wireless, it's going to be too inefficient, too many yeah. losses, but really, really fascinating stuff. And to your point, yeah, I don't think I don't think of it really as kind of a, you know, this or that. Are we going to get rid of this to have yeah. this? I yeah. think the, the, the floor-mounted wireless charging is just a no-brainer. You know, you just, wherever you're sitting, a car could be charging. Uh, suddenly, the need for batteries reduces, right? If Every time a taxi is sitting at the airport waiting for the person to come in, if you're grabbing a little charge or when you park somewhere, wherever you go, you can just grab a quick charge. We can reduce the need for some of the range and battery figures and stuff. And it's a clear winner because other, otherwise, I think somebody mentioned the snake charger. Uh, yeah. Mark Plot says, Jake, the snake charger. Yeah. So otherwise, you're talking about robots driving around plugging in plugs, which feels wildly like antiquated. As cool as a robot is, that seems really weird. The whole plug-in thing, that's for humans. Like, if you're doing this in an automated fashion, why would you go that route? That's crazy. That's like, a, rather than using, like, an API to access data on, online, it'd be like programming a robot to type on your keyboard. Why would you do that? that that's, like, wildly inefficient. So um, time will tell, but I do think what you're describing will, will, will factor in large in terms of, like, you know, long-term parking lots at airports or, um, you know, rather than having charging stalls imagine charging is just built in and yep. maybe we get the the demand high enough and they can pump these charging pads out at cost um and it wouldn't cost that much more that's what somebody mentioned you know even if it's efficient it'll cost more than a normal plug but remember that like, a charging stall is not cheap either so yeah it's, it's eventually we'll get there it's like chi charging took a long time to roll out into all the phones and now it's pretty much universal it's like at some point this will just become another universal thing that's just built into all EVs. Uh, Bong Hollywood says, program a robot to use an abacus. It, that's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Just build a robot that can compute. Um, and also, yeah, so check out Matt's video on it. It's definitely cool. And thank you to the patrons for both of our channels. If you guys 
have questions and you bring them up to us, like always let us know. We will try to cover them. That's really cool that we were able to do that for your viewer. And Al, hopefully that kind of breaks it down. And the really cool part about this is SAE has made this a standard, which means now it's not like some secret sauce that one company has. This is good news. This is going to mean, imagine if cars just have kind of a, you know, a receiver coil on the bottom mount, and that becomes kind of a standard fare on all cars. That's the sort of standardization you get when SAEs get involved. So cool, cool story. If, if you guys are watching, uh, thank you so much for tuning in as always, and we'll see you guys next week. Don't forget, every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And we also have an audio version of the podcast at viceversa.show. Thanks for watching, everybody. See you in the next one.